This is Brewers on Tap. Welcome to Brewers on Tap, the official podcast of the Milwaukee Brewers. I'm Lane Grindle. This is episode number 43. You can get involved each and every week with comments or questions to the Brewers by using the hashtag Brewers on Tap, and we'll have some questions from Brewers on Tap uh, a little bit later on in the show when we sit down with manager Craig Council. Speaking of which, not only is Craig Council going to join us on the show this week, but we'll also be joined by Brewers pitching prospect Damian Magnifico, who had a chance to go see pitch in Omaha this weekend as the Colorado Springs Sky Sox visited the Omaha Storm Chasers over the weekend. So we'll have those two coming your way. Plus, uh, hey, the Brewers are nearly an eighth of the way through the season already. It's crazy, but 20 games in after Tuesday night's game, and we're going to look back at a 2-3 and three homestand against the Twins and the Phillies. As we told you, the crew wrapped up that five-game homestand last week at Miller Park, winning the first game on Wednesday in very impressive 10-5 style. He sets. Here it is. Luke Roy to left. Warning track. Get up. Caught at the wall. Lost it. And two are going to score. That's going to be a double. Luke Roy comes through. The 1-0 pitch. Shot into right center. Hit well. Kepler back. Looking up. Gone. Two-run home run. Chris Carter. Brewers double their lead. It's 8-4. Jimmy Nelson picked up the win and improved to 3-1. Home runs from Aaron Hill and Domingo Santana. It was Hill's first. It was Santana's second. On Thursday, the crew dropped an 8-1 decision to the Twins to basically solidify a split over the four games. Two games on the road at Target Field, two games at home at Miller Park. The two teams went 2-2. Two and two. Taylor Youngman took the loss. He fell to 0-3. Ryan Braun picked up his 12th RBI of the season, the lone run for the Brewers in that Thursday finale. On Friday, the Philadelphia Phillies came to town as Zach Davies got the start. Got roughed up uh, in the middle innings, ended up taking a second loss. It was a 5-2 loss for the crew. Chris Carter drove in his 14th in the contest. Saturday, another tough one for the crew as they fell behind early. A one pitch. Swing and a drive. Deep left field. And this game is tied. Ryan Braun with his fourth home run of the year. It's all square, three apiece. Fought back and got it close late, but then gave up a couple of late home runs and fell 10-6 at the hands of the Phillies. Chase Anderson fell to 1-2 and two on the season on the mound. Ryan Braun did hit his fourth home run, drove in his 14th RBI. Chris Carter with uh, his fifth home run of the season. He drove in his 15th. And then the homestand finale on Sunday against the Phillies. Brewers really needed a win in this one. They needed a good start out of Willie Peralta, and really he was able to do that. He worked six innings for the crew, gave up just three earned runs. On his way to his first victory of the season, Jeremy Jeffress picked up his sixth save. Ryan Braun was at it again, hitting his fifth home run of the season. Scooter Jeanette delivered his fourth homer of the year, and Chris Carter with two doubles. He now is tied for the NL lead with nine doubles on the season. 
And it was also a big day for Kirk Neuenheis, who delivered this big hit. And delivers. Neuenheis hits a rocket off the glove of Ryan Howard. Two runs are going to score. Braun is in. Here comes Carter. And Neuenheis has a double. Another absolute bullet. Against Lakewood. It ended up an 8-5 victory for the Brewers, and they sat at 8-11 coming out of the homestand and then packed up and headed down south to Chicago. The Cubs and the Brewers game one on Tuesday night, a good game. Brewers took an early 1-0 lead, and the Cubs got out in front 4-1. Ryan Braun laced a double in the eighth inning, scored two runs, made it a 4-3 game, and even an exciting finish as Aaron Hill with a runner at first drove one deep to left, and it was caught on the warning track for the final out, and the Cubs preserved a 4-3 victory. So the Brewers currently sit at 8-12. Now let's catch up with the skipper. Let's catch up with the crew. Craig Council, our guest here on the Brewers on Tap podcast. And Counts, this is um, you know your first run through spring training and the early portion of the season as a manager. So... From a very generic standpoint, what, what has this experience been like for you? Um, no, I mean, I mean, once we've gotten to the season, this is, you know, it's, it's the season. And it's, um, you know, we're, we're coming in here every day trying to find a way to win a game. And, and at the same time, certainly keep an eye on um, bigger picture items like, you know, how, how some of our younger players are developing. And, and um, the culture that we're trying to instill and the kind of the foundation we're trying to build. So, you know, you're, you're trying to keep your eye on a bunch of things, but, but number one is, is, is coming in here every day and, and, and trying to win a baseball game. Yeah, you, you hit on a key point, and that is the foundation you're trying to put down for this franchise moving forward. You're trying to win every day when you come in here, but at the same time, if there's one thing beyond that that you can get out of this season, what is, what is it you'd like to see for this club? Well, it, it's, you know, I don't think it's a, you know, I don't, I don't think culture is necessarily, it's not tangible. It's not it's something you can kind of put your finger on. Um, you know, it's something you work at every day. Um, and um, it's, it's kind of a belief and it's, it's who we are. Um, so you want to establish that, I think, is the big thing. And I think we've, I think we've made significant progress in spring training. Um, you know, and, and quite frankly, during the season, it's harder because there's results attached to everything for the players. The spring training results a lot of times aren't as meaningful, but when results get attached to everything you do, it gets more difficult as a player um, because they know they're being judged and um, and and it's a grind um, and it's just just harder. So, um, you know, we've got to keep uh, our eye on that and keep making sure we um, we emphasize that and and support them and empathize with them as they go through it. When you have, I think it was 58 guys in camp to start spring, how does that help once you get into the season, though, when guys are up and down and you're trying to integrate them into, quote-unquote, your culture? Well, you know, you never, you're always, you know, you have experience with these guys. Um, so it's, they're not new. I mean, the guys that come up are not new. Um, you know, they, they know what to expect for, for the most part. Um, we haven't got to the point where, you know, we haven't got to the point where we've called up players that we don't know anything. We don't, purely don't know anything about. So, um, and that, it rarely happens. Really, it's going to be you know 
player like Sam Freeman, who we acquired from outside the organization, or Carlos Torres, those are the guys that, that it happens with. But, um, you know, I mean, I think we know that, you know, when you leave camp, it's disappointing for some guys because they didn't make the team. But you also leave camp as a manager knowing you're going to use 45, 40 to 45 players during a season. Craig Council's our guest here on the podcast. Your bullpen, um, specifically the back end of it, those guys have performed well for you in the early going. Um, Thornburg, Blazik, and then, of course, J.J. at the back end. Uh, how pleased have you been with what they've been able to do? And, and you never really defined their roles before the season, yet they seem to have settled into them very well. Well, their their roles are to get outs, you know, and, they, and they've been doing a good job getting outs. Um, and, um, you know, our, our, we, we've – we've kind of played of odd stretch of games in that, you know, we've been play we've played close games that we've won. And I think they've pitched in, you know, basically six out of the seven close games that we've won. They've, they've had to pitch in them. And then we had, a, we had a little bigger victory on, um, on, on Wednesday night. But um, yeah, I mean, it's been, you know, kind of, I think we'll end up starting to get into some closer games that the, the you know, are tied in the seventh tied in the eighth, you know, and guys like uh, Blaine and Carlos and Chris are going to have to pitch in those games and, and, and pitch important innings. You have uh, a group that has, has been able to get out of the gate you know, pretty decently and, and get some nice wins, a series win against Houston to start. Um, have you seen some confidence build within this group uh, at, in the early portions of the season? I think we've um, won some games late, which I, th- which I always believe is, is a confidence builder. Um, I think uh, offensively, we've put we've you know we've put pressure on teams in, in the in the great majority of our games, which I like. Um, you know, I think there's so there are cer- there's certainly some good points to you know you go seven and nine and you've done some good things. Um, you know, we have to prevent runs better, um, but we've we've done enough good things to to earn those wins, and we've played we've played some some good teams up to this point. Plate discipline's been good. You're, you're drawing a lot of walks, getting on base quite a bit. A guy like Domingo Santana is a good example. Somebody that's he's swinging at strikes for the most part. What, what has been the key to some of those guys taking that next step at the plate? I mean, it's a couple things. I think, you know, one, it's just you got to be out there. You got to be at the – you got to be hitting. You got to be having at bat um, to, to get better at it. Um, and I mean, I think – I think Domingo's approach can wear off on and, and like Chris's approach and even in Jonathan VR's approach, some of the new hitters we've had in our lineup, I think, you know, to our organization, I think their approach can rub off on other guys, you know, in the organization. And, you know, we, we players copy what they see. If you go to a, you'll notice if you see like great player, I, I mean, I just think this like Nolan Arenado, like he looked like Troy Tulowitzki and now Trevor Story looks like, Nolan Arenado players copy each other they do they copy what they're good at because it's it's natural to copy that so I think you know you hope that you know one of the Domingo leading offs people see is at bats they understand how he's having success it makes sense to him and um, it's something that they you know try, try to incorporate into their game fair to say that Chris Carter's been everything you guys had hoped for when you signed him I mean, I, th- I think Chris has got just m- – he's got more in him, and I think that's what, what David thought and, and that what, what we thought, you know, seeing him quickly in spring training. We just believe he's got more in him, and uh, we're, we're, you know, pushing him to, to get everything out of him that's in there. Um, but he has – he does some things in baseball that, 
very few people can do. And when you have you have a, t- a talent like that and skills like that, you know it's 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 on it's on us to just push them to 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 get those things to come out. Obviously, you want to get more quality starts out of your starting staff. Uh, how patient? How how important is patience with a 162 game season that you don't overreact to? one or two bad starts at the beginning of the year because maybe they get they get exaggerated a little bit at the early portion of the season where they get buried a little bit more if they happen in July. Right, it's it's you know that's that's the, the tricky part of all the evaluations um is um you know to to identify, you know, sample size and to identify what's a what's a trend and what's just a blip and who's who's just in a slump or who's regressing and so there's no, you know, there's no exact answer to that question. Um, you know, there are times when players need changes. Um, you know, I mean, we, we sent Scooter Jeanette down last year, um, and he, he needed to get sent down, um, and it helped him. So there, there's, there's um, you know, it's, it's different for everybody, and there's no, like I said, there's no right answer. It's, it, those, are, those are hard questions, and when, it, when a player struggles, you, you look at it, you, you always – feel like writing his name in the lineup is is one of the biggest confidence boosts you can give him and putting him out there for another start is one of the biggest confidence boosts you can give him but at the same time you do have to recognize when you're hurting the guy and when the guy needs to you know something different needs to happen a couple of questions coming in from fans on twitter um this is from kelly and she asks have you ever seen anyone else with your same batting stance um no, that's a good question. No, I, I've I've seen um, people threaten to imitate it. Um, you know, there there's some guys that that are that are doing some odd things, but I've never seen. No, I mean, Lucroy is Lucroy is uh, promised to do it someday if we clinch a playoff berth. He's promised to go up there, and taking a bat in my old stance. But um, I don't think anybody's I don't think anybody's crazy enough to do that to themselves. And Ray asks, does managing players that you used to play with and or potentially against present any kind of challenges as a manager? Uh, You know, those are the players that you know the best. Um, So I think those um, I've I've always felt most comfortable, you know, against or or with those players um, because you have the best, you have the longest relationship, you have the most roots with each other in your relationship. So... Um, I've always thought the conversations, good or bad, are, are much easier with those guys because um, you have history, and that history, um, you know, it makes it easier to go into places and, and what quote uncomfortable topics. It's just easier because you got you know and trust each other. Craig, appreciate it. Thanks so much. You got it. Thanks. All right, let's get nerdy with Sabermetrics 101, and this week we're going to look at weighted runs created plus. WRC Plus, the most comprehensive rate statistic used to measure hitting performance. This is according to Fangraphs because it takes into account the varying weights of each offensive action, like weighted on base average. And then it adjusts them for the park and the league context in which they took place. So it really goes beyond just statistics. It really takes into consideration the park the environment, everything else to try to get a true value of just how successful this player has been. And, of course, it measures the most important thing, which is runs created. That's essentially the name of the game, right? Scoring more runs than the opponent, and that's what all this is trying to get to, is what someone's value is in terms of creating runs on the offensive side. And so that's what WRC Plus 
tries to do. Now, the formula is really complicated, and there's no way I'm going to break it down for you verbally here. So you need to go look it up with all the things that it entails, but it literally puts everything into there. And it gives you a decent idea of what kind of offensive value a player has. Checking in on the farm. Damien Magnifico is our guest, uh, relief pitcher for the Colorado Springs Sky Sox and, and one of the prospects in this Brewers system. You have uh, you know, enjoyed the last couple of years continuing to develop. Good year in double-A. What, what's, what's been the biggest challenge for you over the last couple of years? Uh, honestly, the biggest challenge is just learning how to read hitters. Uh, learning how to read their bat path trying to figure out their their mentality, their approach. That's been the biggest thing for me, and uh, just understanding the game. Each day you're going to go out there and you're going to learn something new. So just take the game in strides and run with it. You have a big fastball. It's a, it's a, it's a triple-digit fastball. I mean, you can, you can live in the hundreds. You, you certainly pitch in the mid-90s to upper 90s comfortably. Has that always been the case? When, when did you turn the corner in terms of velocity? Uh, ever since I was younger, I've had the better arm on the team. Uh, I really didn't realize uh, velo until probably about sophomore year in high school when I started pitching again. And I think that was the first time I hit 90. I was 14 years old, 15 years old as a sophomore. If that, I don't remember, but uh, hit 90 and then the next year bumped up a couple and then the next year after that bumped up a little more. But it just each year is more I filled out body-wise, the more it came, but then, I don't know, I know you all of a sudden, boom, it was there, but I think it was because after my surgery, I did a lot of rehab, got stronger, built all my muscles back up around my shoulder, elbow, and then it just appeared, and I've stayed with that same regiment for the most part, and just tried to build off of it. Velo's great if you have it, but there's a lot more that comes with it. How, how has that process been for you in terms of developing secondary stuff and, and understanding how to miss bats even with that fastball? Uh, I mean, Velo's nice because you can get away with mistakes more than others, but uh, you still got to command because the faster it goes in there, the faster it's going to come out. So if they, t they get one, it's going to come back a lot faster. So. I mean, just learning how to repeat my delivery helped me be more consistent throwing strikes. And then, honestly, I didn't throw a breaking ball until pro ball. I tried in at OU, it just didn't come along. And then you didn't have to. I didn't really have to. So, but in pro ball, I needed to. So I developed it while I was still a starter in the lower levels. And I really didn't click until last year. Something just clicked and. I just kept with it, and it's worked so far. So, when you have the velo that you have, that's closer type of stuff. Is that what, in your mind, what you want to be as a closer? Yeah, I, I love going out there, just ending the game for us, getting us that W, making sure it's still there for us. I, I love doing that, and I mean, I am a little bit different when I'm out there. I guess you can say I like to try and keep it loose because if I get too tense, it's not going to be the same. So I kind of keep it loose out there, and every now and then, and then warm ups or see me start bobbing my head, just because like it could either be the music's on or it could be what's going on in my head at the time. And then I'll joke around like with Arcia, me and him we have a great relationship. I'll joke with him in the middle of the game, like when I'm out there. It's just I gotta keep loose, and that's how I have to operate, kind of. What turned you on to baseball as a kid? 
Do you remember? Uh, I'm going to say my parents did. I mean, my parents are from Jersey, diehard Yankees fans. And then when I was about three years old, even before that, I would play, like, with ball or with my dad. And then uh, when I was, like, three or four, they were like, you want to play t-ball? And ever since then, it's just been baseball, baseball, baseball. Even with my little brother when he was growing up, same thing. What do you do when you're not playing baseball? Uh, now or when I was younger? Both. <laughs> when I was younger, it would be me, my brother, and my two cousins. We were riding bikes around the neighborhood, getting into mischief. I mean, just doing normal kids things. Uh, now, and play video games, hang out with a girlfriend, make sure she's happy. And then uh, in the offices, I do take classes, so homework. As you move up through the system and you get that step closer and a step closer to, to the show, what does that feel like? Do you start? Do you think about that, or do you try not to worry about those types of things? I try not to worry about those things. I can't control like where they send me and all. I just can only control when I go out there and pitch. So that's all I kind of focus on is each day getting better, doing what I need to do to make sure I'm ready to go out there on the field. Damien, appreciate it. Thank you. As we continue to check in on the farm, some really impressive performances from some different players in the Brewer system. And in AAA, Colorado Springs is seeing tremendous things out of Orlando Arcia, who hit a grand slam on Tuesday night, his second home run of the season. He's now driven in 13 and putting up really impressive numbers at the plate. As Orlando Arcia currently hitting 313 at the time of the recording of this podcast and to just really doing some amazing, amazing things for the Sky Sox. Special player, no question about it. Keon Broxton's hitting the ball better for the Sky Sox. He's come on of late up to 270 with his average. They've gotten good starts out of Jake Elmore as well, who's hitting 351 in Colorado Springs. Michael Reed eh, slowed down a little bit the last couple of weeks, but he got off to a great start. And Garen Chikini doing good things, hitting 293. He was 3-for-5 on Tuesday night. He hit his first home run of the season. Colorado Springs is currently 8 and 10 on the year. In Double A Biloxi, very impressive things from the Shuckers over the course of the season so far. They sit in the front of the South Division of the Southern League, so they're feeling good about their 14 and 5 start. They're coming off a loss on Tuesday to the Mississippi Braves, but really getting some great play uh, all the way around are the Biloxi Shuckers. Um, high A Brevard County's having their struggles. They're just 3-16 and 16 on the year. And uh, the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers have played better uh, of late. They are now 8-11, and 11, and they're getting some good performances from guys like Jake Gatewood, Monte Harrison starting to hit the ball a little bit more for the Timber Rattlers. So they're feeling better, I think, about where that lineup is. Isan Diaz has slowed down a little bit after a really hot start to the season for the middle infield prospect for the Brewers. But uh, Monty Harrison, again, Tuesday with a couple of hits. So that average, which was really down there, is starting to creep back up a little bit for Monte Harrison. And Jake Gatewood, you could say the same things for uh, as well. And Harrison is now driven in eight. Diaz is driven in eight as well for the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. Here's what's on tap with the Brewers. And here's what's coming up for the crew as a homestand coming up uh, this weekend against the Miami Marlins Friday at 710, Saturday at 610, and that is Superhero Night. Some more details on that coming up. And Sunday, a 110 matinee, uh, Ryan Braun home run leader 
bobblehead, and plus, of course, Kids Eat Free like they do every Sunday as well. So Superhero Night at Miller Park, this is going to be fun. It's Saturday, um, the Marlins, 6, 10 p.m. We're calling for all caped crusaders, finding the nearest phone booth, squeeze into your tights, fly to the Miller Park for Superhero Night on Saturday, April 30th, as uh, the Brewers look to defeat their arch enemies, the Miami Marlins. So that's a challenge. Let's see how creative you can get with some of your outfits or uniforms, whatever it may be. It's going to be transformed into a fortress of Miller Park with a number of special in-game features, photo opportunities, and appearances by popular superhero characters. That should be fun. Plus, fans who purchase a Superhero Night special ticket package receive a limited edition Jonathan Lucroy Superhero bobblehead. I've seen it. It's really cool. You're going to want it. Special ticket packages are available at brewers.com slash theme nights. And then, of course, Ryan Braun home bobblehead day on the following day against the Marlins at 110. And that's going to be cool as well. Uh, Ryan Braun, home run leader bobblehead, courtesy of U.S. Cellular. And uh, it's going to celebrate, of course, his status as the all-time home run leader for the Milwaukee Brewers. And, of course, as we told you, plus every Sunday is Kids Eat Free Sunday. So at all Sunday home games, kids 14 and under will get a free hot dog, bottled water, bag of apple slices, and ice cream treat. You can visit Brewers.com for tickets. That's going to do it for us and this week's edition of Brewers on Tap. Our thanks to our guest, manager Craig Council, and Sky Sox relief pitcher Damian Magnifico. Join us again next week right here for Brewers on Tap. I'm Lane Grimble. Brewers.